0: How does God want us to respond to our sin? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager for The Gospel Project, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. So, Brian, today we are looking at... um, Another key moment in the big story of Scripture in the history of God's people. Um, one, yet another that, key, yet another, moment.
1: I mean, we say this just about every time. How many sessions are in a cycle, like 156 or something? Yeah, somewhere. so we have 156 key moments
0: in every one that we do in the Gospel Project. That's true. That's true. But uh, but yeah, but this is a this is a this is an important point regardless
1: even if it wasn't in our study yes. plan it would be an important point yes it's important not because it's in our study it's important because it's in the bible that's right that's right as is everything else in the bible correct so we're looking at second second chronicles 34 today we are up the creek because if you're stuttering and stammering over chronicles we have some names we're talking about (laughs) i'm gonna just say
0: them quickly and confidently and and it's gonna be fine that's right that's right that's right although i heard uh i heard someone refer to bartimaeus as bartimus recently so i think i've heard that before yeah but they said it confidently and they said it quickly and
1: so that i just call him bart there, that's an easy way to do it. You just truncate the names, give them Perfect. a nickname, and then people are like, "Oh, he knows the Bible so well; he's giving people nicknames." Yes,
0: that's right. And so we're uh, we're about to go there now because we're talking about uh, we're talking about a king who has more than one name, <laughs>
1: just to make it even more challenging. There you go.
0: There you go. But uh, in this passage, we are. Um, this is a a moment in. Uh, Judah's history that actually runs concurrently with the ministry of the prophet Isaiah. Um, and Isaiah was, um, we talked a little bit about him last, in, in our last episode, um, where we were walking through a passage of scripture. Um, and um, so if you missed that where we talked about um the suffering servant and isaiah's prophecy of him go go and listen to that and then uh, also leave us a kind rating and review on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to the show i jumped ahead of myself but that's okay that's all right but um so we are talking about um king josiah or josiah who is also known as king Uzziah. (laughs) um so there you go Fast and confident. There you go. There you go. Now, um, his story um, is one that falls within that ongoing cycle of sin
1: and repentance within within the history of God's people. Yeah. Usually, we think of that cycle of sin in terms of the Book of Judges. Yes. Because it's really apparent there, and we talked about that. But that's not in isolation. This we see in Chronicles and Kings this cycle as well. Just I mean it just it just keeps them going. As, yeah, mark them as a people basically all along. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is what they it did to us as a people. Absolutely
0: it did. Um I mean we we think when we think about the kings of Judah, we think of we we often try to stop at David and the good parts of Solomon. Yeah. Um and then we ignore everyone else. Well and we ignore the bad parts of David and this is also true. Yeah. This is also true. So but um, but one of the things that is interesting, as you look at the relationship between the divided kingdoms, So the the northern kingdom of Israel, the the southern kingdom of Judah is the difference in the in the types of kings that existed. Um, un, like uniformly, the kings in the northern kingdom, we're
1: all bad yeah not a single good one
0: yes the 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 nicest thing that the 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 scribes who wrote down their stories um had to say about them was this one was this one did evil in the, in the sight of the lord but not as bad as the one who came before him
1: it's like that is he was evil but not evil he, evil he was
0: it's like he's evil but then he's evil. That's a backhanded compliment. Right Absolutely, there. <laughs>
1: there is a term
0: that That's I can't best use it. on this show. I can use it on my other one. But don't be evil. Don't be evil is is uh, is a key point there. But the the history of the kings of Judah is a little bit different. What we see there is is we do see a mix of um, condemnation of these kings. We see many who who. Um, we're told did evil in yeah, the sight of the majority
1: Lord. still were absolutely,
0: but but there were there were a number of them who we see they, that they did they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and it says that they followed after their father David.
1: This is this is where it's helpful if you if you're teaching through this mm-hmm. or just studying through this yeah. for that matter to get your hands on one of the charts that list all the kings, and, and many of the charts will have a column. Whether they were an evil king or or a good king, mm-hmm. and it's just really helpful to kind of to see this yeah. laid out. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's really really interesting stuff. It's very valuable mm-hmm. for for you in your in your study for sure. Um, so when we think of so as we as we get into these one of the one of the kings that preceded Josiah was a king named Hezekiah. And this was his great-grandfather. And he was one of these ones that we were told did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good king. um, And the reason that he's declared a good king is because he didn't commit idolatry. He didn't worship false gods. And he led the people back to the worship of the true God. He restored worship in the temple. And um, one of the things that's amazing about him is that in... um, Chronicles, uh, second Chronicles 30, 26, we read that um, we read that he had the people celebrate the Passover and in their celebration, there was rejoicing in Jerusalem um, such that had not been seen since the days of Solomon, the son of David, um, which is a good indicator. I mean, some people actually think that what that means is that God's people hadn't even celebrated the Passover at all all since Solomon. That's massive because that was one of the central acts of worship. It was the hallmark that God kept pointing to over and over again. Every time he spoke to the people, it was remember how I liberated you, how I rescued you from Egypt.
1: Yeah. It was so important for the picture, of course, of God being delivering God or rescuing God, doing that through the sacrifice of a lamb, the blood, as, as, as we know, of course. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, yeah, Passover was central to the life of Israel. Even yeah. beyond that, I mean, it, it it's what the gospel writers used to mark the time passage throughout the chronology in the gospels. I mean, it just, it was so important. It was one of the, the traveling festivals. So, it was, I mean, kind of like us with Christmas today. A little bit, yeah. You know, I mean, it's such an important calendar event. It's deeply significant. Mm-hmm. And think about if we just said, hey, let's just put Christmas on the side. Yeah. And not celebrate it. It's it's kind of hard. Or, yeah. um, or you know, if you're more of a Puritan, maybe Thanksgiving is that day for you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving. I need to start getting my Thanksgiving meal preparation. You, list. Do. It, you it, do. It is mid-October. It's a month out. That's true. That's true. But that's all right. We'll we'll get there. I'm,
0: you know, as a Canadian, we had Thanksgiving you get recently. To, as a Canadian living in America, I do you're so get lucky. to. I know, but I don't get the day off for Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Anyway, anyway, so you would think that the way that that Hezekiah's story goes in in Second Chronicles, uh, um, that Basically, that should be the end. You want that to be the end as you read it, but then you get to his son. Yeah, or you want his son to pick up and
1: like, hey, he continued these reforms. Right. But
0: instead, you get Manasseh, and Manasseh is said to do what's evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he reigned for 55 years. So immediately he jumps right back headlong into idolatry, following along with all the practices of the kings of Israel, um, worshiping the Baals, having like all of their priests, having the um, all basically anything that they were worshiping, anything that the nations were worshiping. They
1: were being worshiped in, in Judah as well. It just, you know, the Bible does not speak to this. Kind of like Eli the prophet back in First Samuel and his evil sons, but you just have to wonder. Apparently, there was family discipleship missing here. Apparently, I mean, how how can you have a father who has a heart to get back to God and his son immediately? Does it? So there's a disconnect. Now we know that everybody's responsible for their own yeah relationship with with Christ as a parent. I, I cannot ultimately control my three kids' relationship with God, but at the same time, we know. That God has called us to disciple them well. And generally, when we disciple well, we see fruit of that. Uh, Very often, yeah. So it just, this, again, it's kind of a sobering reminder of the weightiness of that primary mission for those of us who are parents. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, over,
0: As you were. Thank you. But speaking of sons. There you go. Now. Manasseh was a consistent discipler of his son. (laughs) Just not in the best (laughs) way. No, because his son Amon, um, who had, I think, the shortest reign, or one of the shortest reigns uh, up until the very, very end, where we started seeing months instead of years. But uh, in terms of years, I don't think anyone had a shorter reign than him. He lasted two years, continued on in the evils of his father, and then his servants assassinated him. That's amazing. They were like, we have had enough of this. I'm trying to imagine how evil must this guy have been for his servants to last 55 years with his dad (laughs) and then kill him two years later. That I don't like I it's hard to fathom. Yeah. But then what did they do? They put his eight year old son on the throne.
1: And then we and then we learn about Josiah. Which is amazing. I have a seven year old son. Yeah. So think about him. He's oh, about yeah. to turn eight in December. To think about him. Oh my king. son.
0: Yeah, my son will be eight in March and that would be a disaster. <laughs> but not in this case. Yeah, but not in this case. Now we don't know how old he was when um when the events that we see chronicled mm-hmm. in Second Chronicles thirty four. You see what I did there? Um ah, I see what you did. There you go. Um we don't know how old he was when these we then when these things took place but we do know that um he is portrayed consistently as the last good king of judah um and that's part of what makes his story so fascinating i mean you look at basically right from the get go the the writer of chronicles um sets him up at like on this mission to restore right worship of the Lord. Um, so he immediately is restoring the temple, which has fallen into disrepair. He's tearing down the he's tearing down the idols, he's doing all of these these things. And while he's restoring the temple, he finds something very interesting. He finds the book of the law. Or his servants find it and read it to him, and he immediately tears his clothes, and he asks his servants to go to go and inquire of the Lord to see what what all of all that he's read means. Clearly, what what he heard was a passage of judgment um, that got him that cut him to the heart, very 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 deeply. And so when so his servants go and they find. Uh, this prophetess, Huldah, who uh, tells him that God is going to judge Judah and bring disaster upon it. And um, and he's going to do this because his people had abandoned him. And in fact, God said that his wrath would be poured out and it would not and it would be, and it would not be quenched. So, meaning that he, it would keep going until he was satisfied that judgment had been served, that that um, justice had been done. But God said, because um, because Josiah had humbled himself, this disaster would not come in his lifetime. He, instead of seeing this disaster fall upon his people, he would go to the grave peacefully. There's so much there, Brian. That's a this is an intense passage and we, there's so much to see here. But um let's let's dig in. What are some questions
1: that we should be asking of this story of this passage, this story? Yeah, well one that I can think of that that you just mentioned and it seems like it's a smaller and it may be mm-hmm. the detail may be a smaller detail but it it Ties to something quite significant is what's the deal with tearing clothes? Yes. You see it here. You see it in some other places in Scripture. Um, If you have been studying Scripture for a while, you probably are familiar with this and and probably understand it. But if if you're new to studying Scripture especially uh, or maybe you're leading a group or discipling your kids and, and you're talking through this with them, then this becomes something you probably want to make sure is clear and not just kind of skip over. And uh, tearing one's clothing in in the scriptures was a sign of repentance. Mm-hmm. It was a sign of sorrow, of anguish. Um, so to, to rent or to tear your clothing was an outward expression of that inward breaking of one's heart. Yes. And that's why it's not insignificant to focus on this detail because it gets us to a really important idea here of repentance that runs throughout this Uh, story and actually runs throughout all of Scripture. Yeah. And so it, it sets us up then to talk about repentance. Yes, to make sure we understand what repentance is. That we're talking through it again in a group context. Yeah. Well, what is repentance? Right. Well, well and and one thing that we need to note there is is just even that word. That's
0: that's a word that we don't often hear. It's a very yeah. um, it's a it's, it's kind a church of an, word. It's a churchy word. It's a bit yeah. of an archaic word. So, Brent, what does that mean? Yeah. But it's an important word. I yes. think there are
1: some words that we need to be careful with that we can use them just because of of tradition. Or we're comfortable with them, or we want to sound pretentious at times. That's certainly my reason. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, so there there are times where we need to really kind of, you know, I saw something like this the other day. uh, You know, asking why do some pastors insist on mentioning Greek or Hebrew words? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it doesn't matter when they're preaching. And hey, the Hebrew word is this. Why do we do that? Well, it's the same kind of thing. Why, you know, should we be using a word like repentance? an archaic word that we don't use this is one i think yes we do need to use it because yes. it's an important theological word yes and repentance means to acknowledge that we have sinned to acknowledge the wrongness of our sin not just not to acknowledge mm-hmm. that we got caught in sin or being punished because of sin but to acknowledge the wrongness of sin itself that we yes. in our sin in our conduct we have we have um, robbed god of his glory we we have uh we have lived self selfishly uh, and wrongly before him we've we've lived in rebellion and so to acknowledge that to be broken about that to to have sorrow genuine Mm -hmm. sorrow because of that and to act differently because of it to to, to conclude because of this I'm going to turn which Mm -hmm. is what the word means to turn from I'm going to turn from that sin I'm going to stop doing it and I'm going to turn back to God and and be right with him again so it's a really important word turning is I mean you could boil it down to it's a turn from sin turn to god
0: right and that's a and it's a great way to describe it um one of the things that we need to also remember in that is is that because we've used the term sin so much in this um that's a word even that mm-hmm. people struggle with understanding i mean there's lots of ways to describe it i mean the most basic way is evil yeah um and and
1: What we need, and we need to understand the depth of that. Even for preschoolers, for example, we'll speak of wrong choices. Yes, not bad choices. As I tell my team all the time, a bad choice is getting the fish instead of the steak at a wedding dinner. Yes, that's a bad choice. Sin is a wrong choice, one that goes against God. Right, and
0: a wrong choice in in that in that context can be both. overtly disobeying God but also failing
1: to to, obey God so it's not just so it's not one or the other Yeah. and then we layer it on we build from that Mm -hmm. and we want to talk about it's not just um, actions or lack of actions it's also the posture of the heart yes so we can sin in our hearts without it ever being manifested. Pride, for example, is, is in the heart. I mean, it, it will work its way out yeah, many absolutely. times.
0: Eventually and inevitably
1: it will. the feeling of pride I have, if I'm having thoughts or feelings of pride right now, then that's sin because I am lifting myself up highly above others and, and above God. So, yeah. so it's not just external. There's an internal component to sin as yeah. well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Where repentance, and I mean, if um, if sin ultimately is all sin is ultimately pride, um, as mm-hmm. as one of the early church fathers. I think it was Augustine um, who uh, put it that way, and I think he's right. Yeah. Um, all sin ultimately comes down to pride, because in our pride we are making we are making ourselves our desires preeminent. We are saying that we are functionally making ourselves God for our lives, and that just won't work. Um, its counterpoint is humility. Yeah, and so we see this all through Scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, and we see this example in in Josiah as well. But um, but so repentance is is a sign, is an act of humility um, because it's acknowledging it's not just acknowledging the wrongness of our sin; it's acknowledging that we deserve judgment for our sin. Like that's what's one of the things that's so significant about his reaction when he when he hears the word of the 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 word of God when he hears from the book of the law, he is recognizing that he and his people are deserving of everything that God says is going to happen to them, and he doesn't deny it. Instead, he tears his garments and is like the is like the tax collector in one of jesus's parables saying uh have lord have mercy on me a sinner and that's a that's a powerful thing it's an um, repentance is an honest appeal to god for mercy yeah and that is and and we can't miss that it it is a turning away from sin and a turning toward god but in that it is that it is recognizing as well what we deserve and what god is willing to give yeah. us our wrongness and god's
1: rightness yes and 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 you know th- there's the other component we've we've mentioned this but to clarify because it's so important true repentance will work its way out and change behavior yes absolutely yeah. 100 th- that that's what we see here is isn't it? in this account we we see the king who repents. He, he acknowledges. So again, the concern is we don't want to make it seem like this is just a heart thing. It's an internal feeling. Yeah. That Feelings are not divorced from this. No. But that's not all it is. It's, it's not just, oh, I feel bad. Let me go about my day. Right. It is, oh, no, this is wrong. God is right. I deserve judgment. I'm going to appeal to him for mercy. Mm-hmm. And because of this, when we truly acknowledge this, in God's power we we change our ways and, right. and that's what we see we see Josiah tearing down the the idols and and turning his people to God in worship and and turning to the word of the Lord these are behaviors that are consistent with genuine repentance yeah absolutely and um and
0: for us that goes that goes to an even deeper level because the the whole act of repentance ultimately brings us to Jesus. Yes, it does. That's why, That's a key part of why
1: Jesus came. Which is so important. We see this through the book of Judges, and we mm-hmm. see it through here. As we said, this pattern, it reveals us that we have, even with moments of true repentance, mm-hmm. and we see a lot of, for lack of a better word, superficial repentance. Yeah. Again, it wasn't real repentance. But anyway. In some just, cases. Just, just for lack yes. of a better word. Um, but even true repentance, like this one, is short-lived. Mm-hmm this one ends. Right. And the people revert back to sin. And that just a reminder to us, an exclamation point to us that we need a greater answer to our sin problem that plagues us that that we even even when we try and want to get away from it, we can't. Yes. We need somebody else to deliver us from our own sin, which points us to Jesus. Right, exactly, because Jesus is the one who not
0: like he is the one who Takes the punishment that we deserved. I mean, he's the ultimate example yeah. of God's mercy to us in um, in repentance, and that's why repentance and faith are so um, are so closely linked in um, in the Christian faith. We we can't have one without the other. Um, they go together. They're 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 distinct from one another, but they're inseparable. Um, and so. This is where there is this this, um, it's just it's just incredible to see, really, what God does in this. And um, even recognizing too, that um, when we think about idolatry, Um, idolatry is something that we're all guilty of, whether we, whether we recognize it or uh, or not, we might not be worshiping a statue, um, or a plant or whatever. Um, I'm going to beat that horse until, until it's done. You'll have to confess to the horse then for beating it. That's true. But, um, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, ultimately what we do is when we, when we try to, to handle these things on our own solely of our own effort. What we ultimately do is we just replace them with something else. Exactly. And it's still going to be the wrong yeah. thing. But what G but by turning to Jesus what we're what we're doing is we're saying no. Jesus is the only one who deserves to be in this place of of first importance in yeah. our lives, and because he is th- because he is the only one that's worthy, we are replacing we're replacing all other unworthy things with the only one that truly matters.
1: Yeah, and and I know I need Jesus to even bring me to the point of repentance. Absolutely, you know I, I'm so blind to my sin. I enjoy my sin so much. I, I'm the I'm the pig rolling around in in, in the you know in the mud mm-hmm. um, and happy to be there. So yeah. often in my life. And I, so I need Jesus to to break my heart, to br- change my mind, mm-hmm. to make me aware of this and, and give me the wherewithal even to, to begin this process of turning. Exactly. So from start to finish, it is about Jesus. And by the way, that was a very great Southern Baptist Jesus you uttered a minute ago. Oh, good. Thank you. You really held at that Jesus part.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah, I've been Good in lady. the South so long that uh, that apparently it's it's converting my language. We're getting there. There we go. All right, but I'm still going to say against in a boot in a boot. All right. So um, speaking of things that we need to talk about, um, <laughs> we need to talk about this passage from the perspective of how we can encourage a, a fellow disciple maker. So whether you're working with kids, with uh, with teenagers, with adults, um, what Whatever, whatever your context is, what are a few key things that we can
1: offer um, in terms of encouragement with working yeah. through this passage? Well, I, I, We hit on one already. Mm-hmm. And just to, to clarify in this category, we just need our people to understand what repentance really is. It's not a, a, yeah. a sad feeling or it, that's not it, but but what it really is. But in addition to that, we need to help them understand what an idol is. And, and you mentioned this a minute ago as well. But yeah. just to clarify again, um, especially kids. yes. Um, when they think of idolatry, if especially if they have kind of rubbed shoulders in the church for a while, and, and they may, may be familiar with what that means of worshiping little statues and so forth. Yes, we need to be clear to explain the modern context of idolatry. That we—that's not idolatry—is not over. No, Or Idolatry is not—you know—it's not, not exempt done. from it because we don't have little statues in our homes, like little Buddhas or whatever. <laughs> no. We have different idols today that are just as real, just as powerful, captivating our minds and hearts mm-hmm. away from God and the gospel. And to help them understand what that means and what that looks like and help them start to think through right. what are the idols that right.
0: they have. Um, a great one, particularly with teens to work through, is um, this lovely little brick of a computer that uh, that fits in the side in inside your hand that uh, we mistakenly call a phone. Um, think about that.
1: My eleven-year-old uh. daughter is in this phase where all she wants is an iPhone, mm. and, and we're, th- I'm trying to coach her through. Why do you want an iPhone? You know. Yeah. Well everybody else has one at school. Well, is that really anyway? That's not a good reason. That's no, not a good no. reason. But it but yeah, that yeah. that is something and my kids, the devices they do have already really as right.
0: idols. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, you know, wh- with adults, it's um and we see this and honestly, I see this a lot with um with other people in in different forms of public ministry, um, where there's this feeling where there's this perception that they have to say something about whatever issue is is oh, yeah. going on at that particular moment, um, when the reality is is no one cares, and it doesn't matter because you know, outrage culture
1: takes takes a look at one thing for a minute and then goes and gets mad about something else. Yeah, you know, I I think in many ways idolatry today is more dangerous than ever mm-hmm. because at least back in this day when you actually had and a pagan god idol of some sort it was clear you knew okay i know what this is and this was there was nothing good about it yeah but idols today can be good things. Most often are good things yeah. that we just abuse or we lift above God and make it an yep. idol. So I think in many ways, it's even, idolatry is even more dangerous today than it's ever been. Absolutely. And so what we really need
0: to do is, regardless of the age that we're working with, we need to um, challenge challenge them and challenge one another and have them con- um, have the freedom to speak to us about things that they see where um, there are places where we where we all need to get rid of anything that is in our lives that's drawing us away from Jesus. Um, because ultimately, that's what that's who is supposed to be most important in our lives. He is the one that matters the most. And um, he is the one that changes everything for us. So, Brian, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up today. Sounds good. Um, but uh, thanks for chatting about this. This was, this was a big one for, for us to, uh, to work through. Um, but uh, also thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.